I, I find the people that I really drawn to are the ones that present themselves in um, in a way that demonstrates that they are curious. And so if you can show me, so in addition to what you already mentioned, like pull out the tasks and the activities and the experience in your previous roles, uh, from, from previous experiences, but you can also demonstrate to me that you are constantly learning and very curious and are not satisfied with the status quo. Hello, friends. My name is Kirill, and you're listening to my UX Career Podcast. On this podcast, I'm sharing my personal thoughts on how to start a career path in UX, how to grow your skills and become a better designer. Also, I have conversations with other designers and design leaders trying to show that there are many different perspectives and opinions on the key questions about UX career. So if you're a UX designer or considering becoming one, this podcast will get you better prepared for finding a job in UX. Opinions expressed on this podcast are my own and do not necessarily reflect the views of my current or previous employers. And don't forget, this is just one human's point of view. Also, if you're interested in UX career insights and um, some key learnings from my experience, uh, you can sign up for my newsletter about UX career. Uh, go to newsletter.uxcareer.co. Now, back to the episode. Today, I'm talking to Rabia Samji as a part of the Q&A with Design Manager series. Rabia is an experienced leader who has led several teams, uh, several design teams, and hired many designers. We talk about her journey starting from kinesiology background to becoming a head of UX at a digital product agency. The importance of showing your personality as a candidate, the value of being a curious person, some tips on adding better case studies in a portfolio, and how designing for emotions will become even more important in future. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Good morning, Rabia. How are you? Good, good. How are you? I'm pretty good. It's been a busy week, but uh, I'm glad that we could finally find time to chat. And I really appreciate your time. It's my pleasure. Happy to be here. Thank you, Kirill. Sounds good. Let's start with uh, basically your current state and like what you what you do today, what company, what's really the, the ownership of the role there? Yeah, so I'm currently the head of UX at a company called Apply Digital. We are... Uh, kind of a full service uh, studio we make, we market digital products, we build platforms. Uh, we kind of work from strategy all the way down to um, development. So we do a lot of ideation work, but we also implement the the, the, the ideas that we, we conceive. Uh, currently, I run a team of UX designers and product designers. Uh, everyone on my team also does user research. So that's kind of a baseline. And... Uh, we have been growing tremendously and very quickly over the past, uh, I've been at the company for about two, just two years now. Uh, the company itself is about five years old. I want to say five, maybe six. Uh, but uh, it's, uh, no, things are going really well. And uh, at Applied Digital, we really look at, you know, growing talent. So I know that this conversation today you mentioned is, is has a bit of a lens on the, the, the new designer, the person coming in. And that's something that I've been lucky enough to just recently start actually growing my team on, on kind of that the junior side of uh, the, the spectrum as well. So that's uh, very timely of you to reach out. <laughs> awesome. That sounds good. And we'll touch a bit more on the details about your particular team at Apply Digital um, at the end of the conversation. Uh, but uh, to kick it off, let's go with... Um, 
I want to hear your origin story. Why did you decide to go this route? Maybe you actually changed careers. What was really, maybe you can recall a pivoting moment when you thought that actually I want to do this full time and I want to do this like for a long, long time. And uh, here, um, this is the industry where I will shine. Yeah, so I have, I don't want to say typical kind of path for UX design. I would say, though, it's more traditional in some ways. Uh, so I did my undergrad in kinesiology, which seems completely unrelated right now. But uh, I worked as a kinesiologist for about six months after I graduated from my undergrad, realized that it was not for me and I was not happy in that space at all. Um, I had taken some courses in ergonomics while I was in my undergrad. And that actually really intrigued me. I knew that I had a degree in kinesiology, so I understood human movement. So kind of pivoting a little bit to the science of human work and how people work um, seemed like uh, seemed like a kind of a transition that that made sense. And it just required a little bit more of upskilling. So I went back to a few additional courses, worked as an ergonomic, uh, got certified as an ergonomist. I uh, worked in the field for six years and I happened to be at a company, like it was a small um, consultancy, a, a human factors consultancy that had two divisions. It had a physical ergonomics group and it had a cognitive ergonomics group. And that's how I got introduced to cognitive ergonomics or human factors. And I was really intrigued by the type of work they did, the research, how they studied humans, how they um, how they applied their work in settings. So this, this particular uh, consultancy specialized in um, transportation and government uh, applications and uh, uh, yes, government applications. So building highway signs and uh, working on a lot of really, really interesting spaces. And I got the opportunity to just be a research assistant for the cognitive ergonomics group for two years. And I was doing that on the side while I still had my physical ergonomics clients uh, and I loved it. So I decided to go do my master's in human factors. And that was the pivotal point for me where it was where I felt as though work, the way people worked was changing. We were moving from kind of a physical work to kind of a more cognitive work. And I thought there's going to come a point in time, and I'm not saying that it's now, but there's going to come a point in time where people are going to stop working physically. And I was trying to look out for myself, really, at that point. Well, like, well I don't want to be left behind if my job kind of disappears because people are no longer physically working. And so I thought, well, people are always going to be thinking and the way that they work and the way that they apply themselves is going to change. And so I want to now be on the side a little bit ahead of the game, if I can be, or at least position myself to really think about how do I reduce the mental workload on people as opposed to the physical workload on people as they work. And that, that was sort of my shift into human factors. Once I finished my master's, I got a job as a user experience uh, consultant at um, another like small agency in uh, Toronto. I worked there doing, oh my gosh, I must've done like hundreds and hundreds of usability studies and then uh, moderating them running focus groups, really applying everything I learned in my physical ergonomics world because I was, when I was in that job, I was in the workplace, kind of in people's jobs. So you can kind of see, think of it as a bit of ethnography, right? Like just being a fly on the wall, watching people work and observing them. And I thought, well, I've got the skill set to be able to observe people. Why can't I observe them in a, like observe their digital interactions? And that's what I, that's where I kind of got my foot in the door, so to speak. And I started with kind of just the, the user research side of things. Then I kind of developed into, you know, coming up with my own recommendations, like design recommendations for the observations that were made. And um, from that 
point on, uh, I, I then moved on to, so I worked in that space as a user experience consultant for about three years. Uh, then I moved to Canada Post, where I started their user research practice. So we were a team of one. <laughs> I was a team of one. <laughs> and um, and uh, the UX team there was growing and really needed a backbone on the strategy and research side of uh, the work that was being done. And so that's where I grew a team uh, and really kind of ended up mentoring a couple of folks. So I had a few folks on my team who had no experience in user research. And I had a couple other folks who, who were UX designers and were really growing and wanted to increase their capacities on that side. Uh, so I built that team up. I was there for three years as well. And then I came to Apply Digital where I head up the, the UX team here, the UX discipline pretty much. Nice. And even though you said like kinesiology is not related uh, or like kind of sounds not very common, uh, and I agree, it's not like a, the most popular, I guess, uh, program that people go to. But I know quite a few people who actually had transitions or at least kind of some link to to that the kinesiology science. And I think like especially with the with the human factors and like the 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 link between the kind of the constraints and the specifics of of a human brain and body. Exactly. I think it's so so relevant and. Um, Frankly, I think it's super, super, super relevant background that you have. Yeah, I would say the human factors is the more traditional part of it, where you have a lot of folks from human factors coming into this field. Uh, but yes, the, it, from my personal experience, it was a lot of like small, little, little pivots. And so thinking about where I'm today and where I started, kinesiology may seem completely out of the blue. But if you kind of follow that path, I, I, I was always pivoting. <laughs> Sounds good, and um, I think for future pivot is one of the things that we'll have we'll all have to accept because who knows what will happen in five years? Maybe we'll need to pivot again. <laughs> I, I honestly believe, and, and this is um, this is kind of thinking about new folks again that are entering the field. I think that their previous experiences play such a, a key role in where they're going to be in the future, and people have to stop discounting that. And even if it feels as though it's unrelated, they need to go back into their experience and tease out what are the actual tasks and activities that are related or that are relatable to what I'm going to be doing as a UX designer. Because we happen to be in a field that is very, quite, quite a broad, broad field and it covers a lot of different areas. You know, it's, um, it really is a, a problem solving, solving field. And if you exhibited and demonstrated that you're capable to think critically and problem solve in other roles completely unrelated well to me personally that's a big plus <laughs> that says a lot about your potential future success in in user experience design that was a really good segue in one of our next questions about how would how would you like if you were going through this uh, job search uh, like starting the career today how would you really stand out? And like the one of the key things that you mentioned that I've also heard before as well, and I think it's a very good advice, is to really understand what's really special from your background that you can apply and illustrate. And maybe, uh, I guess, extract some of those related activities and skills that you've done before like for a different program or a different job or like different career. And then uh, show how, you, how those skills can be applied uh, in UX. So this is like a huge, huge, I think, um, like one of the key ways how people can stand out from others, especially considering how many very similar looking applications that uh, a company receives today, uh, just because they're like all the same programs and boot camps. And like, as a result, usually you would have just a one and 
have so to say case studies and they all are kind of looking uh, look uh, like a cookie cutter like templatized yeah. so having this kind of this personality and like coming that comes from your previous maybe career or just kind of your background and skills would definitely be a good tip to to stand out from others do you have any other tip uh, besides that I think you you touched on it really quickly just now. Personality. <laughs> I think that you really need to show who you are and your true self. Because again, to be able to do really good work in this space, you have to be curious. You have to be really willing to learn. You have to be willing to ask questions. And I, I find that people kind of uh, present themselves very... Uh, I, I find the people that I really drawn to are the ones that present themselves in... Um, in a way that demonstrates that they are curious. And so if you can show me, so in addition to what you already mentioned, like pull out the tasks and the activities and the experience in your previous world, uh, from, from previous experiences, but you can also demonstrate to me that you are constantly learning and very curious and are not satisfied with the status quo in, in the way, and I don't mean that in a perfectionist manner. I mean that in a, uh, I always want to know if there's something more. I always want to learn if there's another angle that I didn't explore. Is there a bias that I'm cover that I'm kind of exhibiting? So being constantly curious and questioning, I think, is a really good sign. So somebody who comes to the interview with really good questions back for me, or um, somebody, I mean, this is a pretty basic skill, but I don't know how basic, but presentation skills are huge. So if I meet five or six people that all have a very cookie cutter resume, I'm really going to be interested in the person who can articulate and communicate really effectively. And so that automatically gives somebody like a little level up. And then I'm also really interested in how did they get to where they are? Are they bold? Are they daring? Are they, did they take a little, a few risks? Um, and you know, what have they, what do they have to show for themselves? So I, I interviewed somebody who was a fashion designer and like made really big strides in, in that industry and basically exhibited uh, how they would uh, use those um, business and marketing skills in, in the field of UX because that might not be an angle people are looking at. So I thought that was interesting and I thought that was, that was different. And so really thinking about you know, maybe it's disciplines, maybe it's uh, verticals that are outside of the typical UX umbrella, but showing how you might integrate that into your work. But, but more often than not, I would say, like the presentation skills are so, so important, like being able to present yourself well. Because at least in, in the space that I work in, where it's like an agency type of environment, you're always presenting to clients. And so to feel confident that, you know, I can teach somebody something, but I, it's hard to teach them the confidence in themselves when they're presenting. And it, people can get there, but that, that's something that's worth practicing. And I would say someone from any industry might be really great at that. That's great advice. A um, couple of questions to follow up on that. So first, um, I'm really curious about your comment you made on the curiosity and how can, one can show. And I, I, I think it's fascinating how, at least from what I'm, I have observed, some people have this natural curiosity or at least kind of something led them to this curious mind state. And uh, some people just don't care. And um, I, I, I haven't figured out a way how one can teach or mentor another one to be more curious. To be honest, I don't know if you could help somebody adopt it, but I think you can set, a, you can create an environment that people just are 
kind of, uh, how, how, would I, how should I put it? I think of my daughter, for example, like I've got a three-year-old and if I want her to be a little bit more curious, I would put her in a position, I, I, would, I would present her with really abstract things and see if she asks questions and see if she wants to learn more about it. And so I might give her something she's never seen before and see what, what she does. And maybe it's as adults, it's about putting yourself in a situation that you're maybe not so comfortable with and seeing what you do. And so pushing yourself to be um, a little bit uncomfortable. And I know that's very cliche, you know, the, you know, always be a bit uncomfortable, but, but honestly, go somewhere you've never been and see how you react. And that might just help you decide or determine whether that's in your nature to be a little bit more curious to want to figure things out, or if you're pretty perfectly comfortable with where you are and, you know, <laughs> your current space. And, and I'm not saying people who are not curious are not going to succeed. I think it's an, it's a, it'll, it's an added benefit because in our space, our space, our industry is constantly changing. So if you're not willing to, to uh, keep up and to always ask questions and to, to doubt yourself a little bit and check yourself that, you know, hey, maybe that was the case two years ago, but it maybe not isn't the best way now. And, you know, it'll help you stay ahead. I think it'll just help you be more successful. Yeah, I think it's, it's actually a really, really great uh, idea about, especially with like kind of touching on your previous comment about uh, how you um, raise your daughter with like giving her some something abstract and like seeing like if she's trying to kind of poke around and ask more questions. So I think that's a great idea. I'm going to adopt this as well uh, for my kids. <laughs> the, the, I think it's a really good comment about the, I guess, like pushing yourself and uh, trying to get outside of the comfort zone. So, and you're, you're completely right. This is a cliche saying, like, I've heard this like so many times and maybe too many times, but thinking in retrospect about my own experience, uh, I think a very, very long time ago, I read a book by Richard Branson uh, on, on their kind of, uh, on, on his autobiography. And I think one of the interesting points that I remembered um, was memorized was um, that his mindset was, was basically, he was using this mindset. If somebody uh, asks me to do something, I say yes, and then I go and figure it out. And after I kind of, I, I loved it so much. So I started applying this uh, to my work and my I even outside activities, outside the work activities. And thinking in retrospect, I think those situations when you really kind of jump into unknown uh, caused me like the, the fastest spikes in my learning. Like it's really kind of a, a jump yeah. to the next level. It accelerates so it, absolutely. And maybe as a habit, if you take it as a habit and you answer with this kind of mindset uh, to every incoming opportunity or maybe even seek, seeking out opportunities, uh, well, especially when you're in a, in a work setting, uh, really, I think it definitely helps you advance in the career and really grow your skills and also ad, ad, adopt this habit of uh, just getting into unknown and uh, getting outside of the comfort zone. Because from the evolution point of view, it's actually unnatural to, to get outside of the comfort zone, right? So it's yeah. really against <laughs> what, what we've been evolving to do. Uh, so it's a very interesting comment. I love it. It's, it's great. Great tip. And if I think of like some of the folks on my teams, the ones that like some of the there, there's at least a handful of my team that really really stand out to me because they always say yes and I know that there might be something that they they yeah. probably haven't <laughs> done before but they're willing to just like figure it out and I really appreciate that but I think you also need the type of culture in your workplace that people feel safe to ask questions exactly. because it doesn't work one without the other 
Exactly. I think it's a great call out. And maybe we can touch on this uh, when we talk about Apply Digital. Uh, one question that we, we kind of skipped uh, because we were kind of talking about the standing out. Uh, so from all these years of experience, thinking, like analyzing your path and like lessons learned and takeaways and um, what are you wishing you if you were starting career today? I think you have to trust your gut. <laughs> you have to trust your instincts more. I think, I don't know if this is a, a woman thing or not, but we doubt ourselves a lot. And I think if there were, there were probably moments earlier on in my career where I probably didn't say yes, where I probably should have just been like, yep, and I'll figure it out. But there was a lot of self-doubt earlier on. So I think I, if I had to speak to my older self, I would, my younger self, I would say that, you know, just, just go for it. Just try, like, don't, don't, don't overthink it. <laughs> that's a very good call out. And um, frankly, um, I don't think that's just a woman thing. So I had the same okay, problem yeah. myself. <laughs> And I've heard about the imposter syndrome that people just kind of not confident in, in like, actually, when you look at their portfolios, they're like, and you talk to them and like, actually, they're really good. And they just don't get it. They don't realize it because they're kind of maybe haven't had enough exposure or enough feedback uh, to kind of to feed at least reassure them. So I think it's not just you or women. It's, um, yeah, I've heard about this problem from many, many people. But some people actually on the on the other side of the spectrum because you look look at their work and it's like, <laughs> man, this sucks. And like the person is so, <laughs> like, so, so like, confident. Mentoring others <laughs> yeah. like, uh, on the, like in the industry is like, what? <laughs> yep, I've seen that too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an interesting spectrum. I think it really depends on the personality and also the upbringing. I think um, uh, the the way that the person was, was raised uh, can influence how confident they feel in themselves. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very tricky situation like with the, the, the childhood and the parenting and all that stuff. So it's definitely, I think Let's it has some impact. talk about what makes a great resume for you. Like when you look at the applications, what really stands out? And maybe you can also recall some examples or something that was about those, like, much, like the ones that were much, much better than others. Like what really stood out? Yeah, these days I would say, I look at resumes a little bit less, maybe portfolios a little bit more, um, mainly because it gives them the space to explain why they did something. And so I'm less interested in your achievements. Like I, you know, you tell me that you increased something by the productivity of this tool by 500%. And honestly, I glaze over any of those statistics because I've personally seen people come up with those statistics for their own resumes. And I'm like, this is bullshit. Yeah. And so I honestly don't, I pay no attention to that. That that might just be me, but I don't even pay attention to that. So if you tell me that you boosted the blah, 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 I don't care. The reason I like portfolios better is because if you show me your process and you explain to me the challenges you faced and how you overcame them, that gives me a lot more insight into how you're going to succeed or not succeed or how you'll tackle the day-to-day -day of a of a project so um resumes i mean they come in it's part of the it's part of the gig i might check what your your formal training is so like um if you haven't had any type of training whatsoever and you've learned on the job uh i am a little bit wary i i am looking for some types of either a core an online course or something because I do believe that the field of UX has fundamental principles and if you never took the time to learn those fundamental principles then I'm a little I question that a bit so I am looking for some sort of validation that you understand the core principles of human factors or experience design or you know uh, so that 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 is maybe the only piece that I'm looking for in the resume 
Sounds good. Uh, so this is a good segue into the portfolio question. So what, what's a great portfolio? What are you looking for in one? What's maybe, what things stood out for you? What, what red flags have you seen? Yeah, uh, this is going to be really, really, uh, <laughs> people don't like when I say this, but I'll say it anyways. I do not want to see a typo in your portfolio because that to me tells me that you have poor attention to detail. And Attention to detail. I'm not saying I'm perfect at it, but I'm saying that if you're going to put yourself out into the world and you want somebody, you know that you're going to be judged by it. So this is not a casual thing. You know that your, you know, your portfolio is being used to judge <laughs> against other people. And if you have a typo in your portfolio, that to me is a red flag because it means that you're not paying attention. And I don't know if you just didn't pay attention that one time or if you just don't pay attention generally. <laughs> you just skim through things, you rush them. So that is a red flag for me typos <laughs> or grammatical I'll put grammatical errors aside it's really like typos things that you should have caught like there's no excuse for that being wrong <laughs> um then more generally like to to portfolios I'm looking for the rationale I'm looking for the explanation of why you did it that way and what did you learn from it so not just that I did a survey and then I did uh then I did some sketches and then I wireframed and then I user tested it and then this is my end result like the steps are fine. The why is way more important to me. So if you tell me that, like one, one of the things I thought really interesting when I saw a portfolio, is they explained like, when I was in this phase of the project, I ran into this challenge and this is how I resolved it. That's something that stands out to me. And so I think if people take the time to act, and this is one area of the portfolio that I would say writing more is better. Like don't, I don't want it to be really sexy and glossy like a presentation. I actually want to read your content. <laughs> interesting. Uh, very good call outs about the typos. I've heard this many, many times. And uh, with all the tools, and obviously uh, there are ways to, to make a typo that a grammar checker will not get, will not catch. So there are some words that you can do. So it's definitely, you need to do it manually, but uh, the, with all the tools, especially Grammarly, I think it's amazing. Like I use it every day. Um, definitely helps save a lot of time um, using uh, like just kind of spell checking and making sure even like the grammar looks right. Uh, so I think it's, a, and it's free. Like it's, yeah. why can't you use it? It's, it's a yeah. question. To, to me, it's more, it's a principle thing, right? It's like, do you care enough to check? Do you take the time to check? Um, that's, that's what, that's the angle I'm looking at it from. Exactly. And this is definitely attention to details is one of the foundational skills um, that a designer should have at least a great designer. <laughs> um, okay, so that's really good. How about the the number of uh, projects in the in the in the portfolio? So what what's a good number for you? Uh, three, about three. I think I'm I'm comfortable with seeing three. I probably won't read more than three. <laughs> Is there such a thing as too long of a case study, like too much details? Based on what I just said, I'm gonna say no. Because I, I I do want I won't I might not read all ten of them that you have in there, but I probably if I'm considering you seriously, I will read like top to bottom your one or two of them. And uh, one more question on the portfolio. So let's think about folks who just graduated from a program or a bootcamp um, or another design design um, uh, course, and they have one maybe two projects, and they're sort of generic. So. How would you like if it if it was um, if you were in the shoes? How would you really, I guess, stand out from others by adding some I guess and ideally real work 
or a real yeah. project so example? Yeah. What I've told people in the past on this exact question, um, it's twofold. <laughs> yeah, it's it's twofold. On one hand, on like on a more practical side, I would say, look, you're in user experience. There are a million and one crappy experiences out there. Find one and break it down. And how would you tackle it? So that's my like standard answer. My my the the other side to that is don't come through a generic portal because your resume, your portfolio will get lost that way because there are so many more people that probably have more experience and thorough portfolios than you. Reach out to me personally or find a way, like be creative. And I would say the most junior folks that I've hired had nothing to do with their portfolios. It had to do with, you know, they took the effort and they went the extra mile to really show me, hire me, to really like, you know, make me recognize them as a person. So, you know, it's one, one person, um, uh, well, most of them hound me down on LinkedIn and that's probably the best way to, to find me, but they'll write me like really interesting messages on LinkedIn. I had one person um, mail me like a physical thank you card for just taking the time to speak to them. So that obviously stood out to me. So they, you kind of have to do be a little different. And if you know that your portfolio is not your strength, then counteract it with something else. Figure out what your strength is and find a way to show that to me. Did you hire that person with a with a card? I I did, but it was <laughs> it maybe it was a bit of a rush decision, but it but I did because it really stood out at that point in time. So yes, at least it it gave uh, this person a it chance. gave them a shot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. it gave them a shot. And when you're that junior, you need every shot you can get. You can get yeah. Exactly. I think it's an amazing advice about Be bold. Uh, yeah, uh, a way to stand out as well. Um, awesome. So let's uh, touch on the next big question, which usually is a tricky one from just kind of the philosophical point of view perspective, because we don't know what will happen. Uh, what are your thoughts on the future of this profession at all? And the question is more about the, the trend that I've been seeing uh, for automating at least some parts of the design process, uh, I guess, like the more repeatable areas like the like what i've seen like the, the the last mile so to say and i'm curious about especially for folks who are starting today like if it were you uh do you have obviously knowing that you already kind of know so much uh is there like any direction or some kind of focus or niche that you think would be more future proof from that point of view from the whole spectrum of all the and, and like i think uh, from your like from your experience with the, what you mentioned with the i guess physical and ergonomics uh, kind of side of this question right that you kind of realized at that time that actually cognitive would be more future proof and like i think this is a great example of how you made this decision and pivot uh, so i'm curious if you what what thoughts you have about the same question but for the ux profession itself uh, today uh, I would say it's going to be twofold. So on one hand, I think you really should be looking at the latest and greatest technologies. So what are the newest ways that people are interacting with one another? And maybe newest is not the right word, but what are the what are just different interaction models that as people we're going to be engaging in? So whether it's voice, touch, um, oh, and any other any other ways of communicating with one another so how are how are what do those interaction models look like and how can you learn how to work with those application in those applications whether it be vr whether it be kind of um 
uh, AR and, and so on and so forth. So just being, um, just taking the extra steps to really understand these different areas and to position yourself in a way that you are, or like, or, you know, even people started focusing on like chatbots, like conversational UI or like things like that. So, you know, there's so many areas in this, there's so many different kind of uh, verticals that are not um, completely fleshed out and have not completely replaced the screen. So I would say spend a little bit of time and energy and focus on kind of understanding those, those uh, interfaces of communication. Um, on the more philosophical side, I would say, <laughs> on the more philosophical side, I think we are moving to a place where the future is going to be more about understanding, not no, so much what people do, less about their behavior, more about their, their feelings <laughs> and their attitudes. And I've spent a lot of time studying people's behaviors and trying to kind of putting aside, like, I'm less interested in their attitudes and whether they like it. Like, I just want to know what they do. And I want to understand because it's very hard to change someone's behavior. So how can we leverage their current behavior to, you know, get them to do what you want them to do? But I do think going forward, emotional side of thing is going to play, emotions are going to play a bigger part in your decision making. Because at a certain point, you're going to have the functionality of everything become the same. And now it's going to have to trigger your emotional response. Um, so it's really going to have to connect with people's hearts, whatever it is you're building. So that's where I think the future might be going. And so, you know, having, having a better understanding of psychology and people and human emotions and um, that side is going to maybe perhaps, you know, play a bigger role. I think that's amazing call out, especially with the kind of functionality kind of becoming a commodity, right? So it's more about yeah. really kind of this delight and like bringing emotions to the experience exactly. that will help you stand out because looking at... Um, even like I think there was an interesting, um, I guess, observation from uh, Luke Robleski a while ago that every app evolves to until it gets messaging or something like that. <laughs> so it's, it was like that, <laughs> yeah. that phase of the evolution of this yes. kind of commodit commoditizing the the functionality. So I think now it's like I think then it was like chatbots or something else. So it's it's definitely a trend, and um, I think now it's like the co collaborative spaces like uh, with the Fig Jam. Uh, Thing that like I think that yes. it will be more and more widespread and it will become like a, just a feature across many other products and the question is like about the emotional response and probably like if you think like from the customer experience as well the the customer support and the quality of this kind of the service which also exactly. invokes the right or their own emotions so I think it will be also a differentiator so let's talk about the applied digital and just quickly on the team structure what design process you I guess like try to use and obviously it will be different uh, but uh, yeah talking about like those details uh, about the team so at apply we have two different disciplines that cover design so we've got uh, we've got the design team and then we have the user experience team and the reason we have it's actually split up into two groups while they work very very closely together we have like an extremely tight-knit relationship it's kind of like a brother-sister relationship with the two teams um, they are separated because I believe that the skill sets are quite different fundamentally in terms of you know the folks on the user experience team all of them are really, really interested in insights gathering and understanding what the customer or what the user really wants and needs. So that whole like aspect of product market fit of uh, usability, as well as uh, just, you know, um, identifying those unmet needs are a core to the folks on the user experience team. 
On the design team, we've got more of the emotional side of the design. So we've got folks that are responsible for really bringing that to life. So while everybody on both teams can wireframe and prototype, you know, the fidelity of our design, like the design team, like their fidelity of their work will be significantly higher. But they're really focused on kind of taking it to the next level and elevating the design. So with motion, with, you know, really intricate visual details. And so their, their craft is quite different, I would say, than the craft of the user experience team, though both are, you know, very much needed for product design. That said, we have a few product designers on both of our teams. And the way we kind of break it down at Apply Digital is that we have product designers that have a major in UX, maybe a minor in UI, live on my team. So product designers that have a minor in UX, but a major in UI would probably live on the design team. So that's structurally how we broke it up. And we find it works quite well, well for us. And I mean, we're not siloed at all in that, you know, when we're having design meetings, anybody from either of those teams can kind of cross over and attend whatever's relevant to them. And so we are still one big design team, but we have, we, we have kind of separated off for those particular reasons to really foster the growth of um, some of the more nuanced aspects of the discipline. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about your design process? Uh, like, and obviously, they at least the framework that you are trying to use, and you adjust to the the correct situation. Yeah, uh, you know, if time and budget permits, all of our work <laughs> involves um, upfront user research. Uh, so we really want to make sure that what it is we're building, um, we have the right context for it and what it is we're designing, we understand who it is we're designing it for. So uh, there'll be some form of insights gathering. So whether it's primary research, whether it's secondary research, I would say in the last year or two, we've now, I would like almost 70% of our work has primary research attached to it. So really, really proud of like the fact that we've kind of gotten to that point where we can really sell that we can show the value of that to our clients because they see what you know how much better the work can be Uh, not to say that it's not good without it but it just can be so much stronger and to be honest our designers like it when we have primary research as part of the process because it helps them justify their decisions it just makes it so much easier to have a conversation around um, why we did it that way as opposed to just becoming a very subjective conversation between clients and uh, designer So once we do the, yeah, yeah. So we have the research process. Um, We'll have, uh, you know, the teams will probably break things down uh, into user flows first, then they might wireframe. Um, They will probably, everything gets prototyped, but the fidelity of the prototype might change significantly. So you might have really low fidelity prototypes that we were using just to user test um, and to get feedback on. Um, We might have higher fidelity prototypes because we're creating something that the client wants to kind of pitch for funding or for to, 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 to get buy-in. And so that would be kind of replicating pretty much what that final design might actually look like. Um, so it varies depending on the project and what the ask is. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then we typically type uh, like, valid, like validate our designs and then we would kind of uh, go into development. Sounds good. Uh, what about your interview process? How do you review applications and uh, candidates? It's changed. I mean, it it varies because depending on how much time we have. So I would say when we had, when we were making strategic hires. So what I mean by that is that there isn't an immediate need. It's just something that I see that our, I know our, our workload is going to be increasing and I have time to make that hire. Um, I will, I like to do case studies uh, with 
folks that are kind of junior to intermediate because they don't have as many examples to show in their portfolio that really demonstrate what they're capable of. And I find the case study gives them an opportunity to really present to us and um, show where their head's at in terms of the way they think. So when I have the time, I will I will ask people to do a case study. It's usually really like short. They have one week to present it. There's no design involved. It's really typically about just talk us through the process, maybe show us the information, like how you would change the information architecture. Um, there's like no spec work or anything like that at all. And um, it's really just about understanding how they think. Um, when I'm more strapped for time, then it's, uh, you know, it's a series of interviews. So really looking at having them walk us through their portfolio, their previous work, um, I have some questions around just trying to understand how do they work? Will they jive with us? Uh, you know, what, you know, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are some of, how have you gotten out of some challenges? How do you interact with project managers and developers and other folks on the team? Um, so it's, it's a combination of kind of like the standard interview type questions. Um, that said at Applied Digital, we not only have the interview with the hiring net, like the hiring manager, you also have um, what we call culture interviews. So you would interview with peers that are like your peers across the company. Um, so we would put together like three or four people that are maybe not in the same discipline and they just have an interview with you just to get to know you as a person. And, you know, what are you like? What would it be like to work with you? Um, we work really, really hard. And I think the culture interview is a, a huge testament to this is not hiring people who have egos. And we try and put the egos aside. And the culture interview really helps get at that because when you're in your when you're presenting your portfolio, you know, you have to be confident, you have to be strong, you have to kind of sell your best self. But when you when we we found that when you put people in situations where they can be a lot more casual, they can talk about just their interests and just wanting to ask questions about the company, their true selves really come out. And that's when we really get a feel for, you know, is this is this a good person that like, is this person going to be a good culture fit for us as an organization? That's true. I think uh, this is a very important step of the process. What's the company's stance on hiring junior entry-level designers and helping them, like bringing them up within the comp within the team? Yeah. So um, for, so my team started with very senior folks and I would say when, because we had like a strong footing of senior people, we were then ready hire some juniors so i for me personally um i wanted to hire juniors when i knew i had enough mentors for them i didn't want to have a team of just juniors because i thought it would be really difficult for them um, because they really need as a junior you're you're, you're coming to learn you're coming to absorb you're coming to, like, you need people who have time to give you <laughs> and so once i had enough seniors or intermediates on the team then I was ready to do like a round of junior hires, which I just did. So we just hired like four juniors and we made, and it's been going so great because we were able to at least like pair them with more senior people so that they have a, like a point person that can really be their mentor. So I think um, if companies are afraid of hiring juniors because of the time it takes, you just have to have all your ducks in a row first before you do that. Just make sure you have enough people. Like I wouldn't hire a bunch of juniors off the bat too many without enough support for them because then it's not an environment where they can succeed. I feel like if I'm going to bring them on, I don't want them to, I want them to succeed. And that means that they need the extra time. And I've heard about this so many times and I think it's super valid because yeah, like if they don't have enough, if you, if the company doesn't have enough support for them to grow, 
there is actually maybe more harm than, than good uh, in such uh, in such hires. So I think it's super important that you have enough mentors and really kind of pairing them up uh, with the more experienced folks so they can learn faster in the work setting. I think it's great. Okay, so that's it for today. I really, really appreciate your time and um, where people can find you if they have a question or if they want to kind of reach out and if you're open to these conversations. Absolutely open to people reaching out. They can find me on LinkedIn. So Rabia Samji or uh, what's my LinkedIn? I think it's at Arlalani. <laughs> I'll include the link uh, in the description. Yes, in the notes yes. But uh, no, I would, I'd love to speak to people. I've met, I've met, Oh, more than half of the folks on my team through LinkedIn. So nice. it's, uh, you know, reach out. We can do a virtual coffee, just get to know one another. I'm happy to do it. I do it all the time. Excellent. So I wish you a wonderful day and I really appreciate all the insights that you shared. And um, thank you for your time. No, my pleasure. Nice, very nice meeting you. <laughs> Take care. Thanks for listening. If you want to see more episodes and support this podcast, the best thing you can do is leave a review on iTunes and share with your friends and colleagues. If you have specific questions you would want me to answer, you can submit them on the UX Career website. Go to uxcareer.co slash questions. Goodbye, friends.